You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number two, live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Serving Calgary and Southern Alberta since 1992. They got you covered for everything basement-y. Bottom of the hour, Mike Fuda. NHL on Sportsnet. Former Vice President and Director of Player Personnel for the LA Kings will join us. Derek Wills, the voice of the Flames on Sportsnet 960 at 8 o'clock. Connor McGahey, Avalanche play-by-play voice, does the uh, PA at the Broncos games. Better He'll believe join it. us at 830. Mm-hmm. Friend of the show, Connor McGahey. I think that's fair. Yeah. And uh, still taking your text messages, uh, the Flames will win in Vegas when blank. The Flames will win in Vegas when blank. 960-960. Flames lose 4-3 in overtime last night to the Vegas Golden Knights on a uh, ill-timed line change by Michael Backlin. And the Flames go now 0 for their last 8 at T-Mobile Arena, although picking up a point for the first time in franchise history in that barn. Flames now 35 one-goal games and 22 one-goal losses which both lead the National Hockey League. And five blown two-goal third-period leads tied with the Oilers at five for the lead in the league. And four, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins right behind. So much to discuss from this game last night. Uh, The week one, Vladar let in on the second goal, which kind of turned things in the third period. But how surprised were you? And I know you don't really like to talk about the goaltending. But how surprised were you that Vladar actually got the start last night? Medium. Like, the thing is, Daryl Sutter has shown a propensity over the last, you know, year and three-quarter seasons that he's been with the Calgary Flames, kind of closer to two seasons now, that, you know, he doesn't mind throwing a goalie in back-to-back depending on how the game was before, what travel is, that type of thing. So I wasn't overly surprised uh I didn't think that you know the thing for me is that I didn't you know Dan hasn't been exceptionally strong of late much like Jacob Markstrom hasn't been exceptionally strong of late you know he got the win against the Arizona Coyotes but I was kind of thinking like was it a win where I was like wow without Dan Vladar I don't know how they do this like no they just straight up dominated the Coyotes the entire way through that game yeah and as a result, I thought maybe they would probably go to Markstrom. But, hey, after the game, Daryl goes to the win and you're in. That's what it was yesterday. And, and now we'll see what happens in Colorado. But uh, they didn't win. So that rule is at least void for the day. But it, it's funny how everything that kind of the fans have wanted from Daryl Sutter, it's starting to come to fruition. I've been saying this about Jacob Pelche for the last, like, week or so, right? Like, he comes into the, he gets called up. He doesn't get in the lineup for a little bit, but he's around the team and he's practicing with the group. He gets into the lineup, but he plays less than 10 minutes. So he's down on the fourth line and, and kind of playing a little bit of special teams. Shows some good games, gets moved up the roster, ends up playing on the second line, sees his ice time bumped up, manages to take hold of that spot on the second line. You know, granted, I think it also helps that the Lindholm and the Backland units have been running at a high enough clip that you don't feel like you've had to make any other changes. 
You know, I think the only other one would be maybe putting in Rizicka for Peltier, and there's been literally no reason to do that. So he's continued to improve step by step, getting his ice time up, and now the offense is starting to come. He has two points yesterday, uh, two points the day before. He's got a couple of goals now. Like, you're starting to see... A, a confident player, and the offense starting to follow. And not a just five-on-five. Five. Like, he's really added something to that second power play unit as well, and I really like how they've kind of split up their units. It does set you up for a tough bounce-back shift, you know, that shift right after the power play, because essentially when they use four or eight forwards between their two power play units, that only leaves the fourth line untouched to go out. And there was an instance after one of their power plays where it's the fourth line against the Eichel line. That's not a good matchup. No. We know the Flames are built on their depth, right? Mm-hmm. Up front, on the blue line. They don't have an Eichel. No, they, they don't have a game breaker. They don't have a Matthews. They don't right. have a McDavid. They had those guys last season, but they don't have a game breaker. Like, you you could say that bringing in Huberto, he's supposed to be kind of that guy, but never really a, a game-breaking type player, but a guy who's very offensively gifted. He feels like he kind of needs to be with a game breaker. And when he's with a game breaker, he's one of the NHL's absolute best players, which I was not saying that prior to the season because he was playing on a line with Sam Bennett and Anthony Duclair and put up over 100 points. Yeah. He barely played with Barkov last year. But um, we saw that last night because the game breaker for the Golden Knights, who's had a very rocky time in Las Vegas, Jack Eichel. And was a ghost for the first 30 minutes of the game. He was. But uh, the Flames, again, we saw it last night. I thought the Kadri line was good. Yep. Uh, the Backland line is the most consistent line on this team. They were good last night. Um, and again, um, the Foley's line was good with Lindholm. They had some chances. That was good. But again, it comes down to goaltending. And this team lets in weak goals like the second one. I'm looking up team save percentage right now in the NHL. No surprise here. The Vancouver Canucks are dead last. At 872. The Kings right behind him, 883, mm-hmm. which is kind of surprising, but they haven't had really any goaltending. Well, especially when they say, peace out, Cal Peterson, because you can't make save. Uh, Sharks near the bottom of the list. Blues have struggled big time. And who's tied for uh, 28th? Actually, they're 28th because they've let in more goals. The Calgary Flames, 888 save percentage. Like, that's not even. The Flames don't even need great goaltending to make the playoffs. They just need okay goaltending to make the playoffs. You and said what combined? 880? 888. Like, that's horrible for yeah, the season. You get to 905, and how many more wins is that if the Flames are above 900? Which isn't even asking a lot. Like, the Oilers have an 899 save percentage. And how bad was Jack Campbell the first few months of the season? where they had to turn to Stuart Skinner. Well, they've never really been able to get someone consistently to hold the net, The Senators and Coyotes have better goaltending than the Flames. The Senators have a higher team save percentage at 901 than the Flames, and their goaltending is atrocious. If it would have said to you with 20-some-odd games to go, the Senators would have a much better team save percentage than the Flames, especially playing in a way tougher division. Mm-hmm. You'd say no chance that's the case. Oh, it is. And again, I know you don't like talking about goaltending. You hate it because some people say, oh, it's voodoo. If you even have average goaltending here, middle of the uh, Senators, 17th in the NHL in save percentage at 901, this team's firmly in a playoff spot. 
I don't think there's any question. And again, it just shows 22 one-goal losses. You need that save once in a while. And none of these guys, although Vladar was picking up some wins, he wasn't particularly good in that game in Arizona because the team dominated the Coyotes. He let in some weak ones in that game too. You don't even need great goaltending. You just need okay goaltending. And this team's in the playoffs for sure. 100%. And like, it's not that I don't want to talk about the goaltending. It's just like beating our head against the wall. It's the same thing. It's been the same thing all season long. Hasn't been good enough. I don't know goaltending enough to say, hey, this is what you have to do better. This is why you have to, this is what's going to fix the problem. For me, it's just like, yeah, the, the goalies haven't been good enough for them all season long. There's been moments where, yes, they're making great saves and they're keeping them in these one goal games. But like you mentioned, it's the one, it's sometimes even two where you're just saying it comes at a bad time. It ruins all your momentum. Don't get me wrong. There's been other issues with this team over the course of the year, too. But one of the biggest ones has been goaltending. And the one that I always go back to is, and and the reason I don't like talking about it, you look at the two seasons that Jacob Markstrom has put together back-to-back. You look at the two seasons that Connor Hellebuck has put together back-to-back. Polar opposites for both of these guys. Yeah. Are the Flames goalies going to be able to find it this year? Who knows? Doubtful, frankly. Could they find it for the year next? The next year? Sure. Why not? I think half that battle is a mental battle. And I think that they've gone so far down the hill in the wrong direction that it's such a strong, a a hard, long climb to get back to a place where you're confident, you're constantly believing that you are the guy that you showed you can be last year. How do you get there? If we would have had the discussion in October when our show started that goaltending would be the biggest issue for the flames. Nobody would have thought that nobody. No. After what happened with Goudreau and Kachuk and bringing these guys in, the number one thing we were talking about was, Oh, these guys got to get together. They got to build the chemistry. Mm -hmm. Well, that's kind of starting to happen here and it has been for a while, but goaltending throughout the entire season has been the biggest Achilles heel of this team. Like early on, it was, hey, let's try and let's see if they can find some actual pairs, right? Like the blue line was kind of patched together because Shillington was very much up in the air. Um, they dealt with a couple of injuries early on in the season with guys kind of in and out. And and with Uyghur joining the fold, they were trying to find that kind of mix. And they eventually got to it. And that kind of got itself sorted out and the defensive structure got a lot better. Another thing we talked about all season long was this team turning the puck over in the offensive zone and hemorrhaging odd man chances the other way. That, for the most part, has been something that has been cleaned up. When you look at the offense, they've got to find a way to get these lines to work. Huberto and Lindholm didn't work. Huberto and Backlund didn't work. Backlund now has his line set. Hubert, uh, Lindholm has his line set with Toffoli and Dubé. You like what you're seeing there. The Kadri line has gotten better over the last week or two. They're starting to show a little bit of chemistry. And Walker Dewar has inserted some new life on a fourth line, which was, frankly, quite stale for the better part of a month. You look around, there's been improvements made in a lot of positions. Flames, uh, special teams-wise, 13th on the PK right now. Solid. Not Not bad. 22nd on the power play. You want more especially when you bring in a guy like Huberto, who is L- supposed to be a power play specialist. Lately, they've been good. But but 
it, but it has been better of late since the changes to the units. And, and I think going back to what I said earlier with the two forwards on each side, yeah, that's been nice with Pelletier on that second unit. And that's what makes that's what makes uh, the deadline, which is a week today, so fascinating to me. And what Bradtree Living is going to do is, should you add to this group when you can't get a save? Sometimes I don't know. Like what uh, is is Luke Shen's the name that keeps being thrown around, but the, is Luke the Flames Shen... apparently backed off on that. Like sure, the because reports... it was a little too pricey. Yeah, that's fine. But I'm just saying a depth defenseman because apparently that's what they're. Because now, do you still need a top six winger? The way Jacob Pelche is playing, probably their best forward last night. Do you need to go out there and give us some assets to get a top six forward? Maybe it would help. It's always better to have more depth throughout the lineup, but. Is a depth defenseman really going to solve your problem in net where you can't get a big save or you can't get consistency? And I think maybe big save's a little unfair. It's just about consistency. And being at the bottom of the league in save percentage has killed this team. Like, 22 one-goal losses? Mm-hmm. Like, who would have who thought that at the beginning of the year? That the Flames used to kick used to just cave in teams last season. They used to pile on with wins. And yeah, it's harder for this team to score goals, and the margins are so thin for this team that they can't afford goals like last night that the Vegas Golden Knights scored the second one, that white cloud goal in the third period. Because they had that game won last night. They were incredible in the first period. Vladar made a couple nice saves. He absolutely did. But consistency in that has just not been there for this team. And that was the one storyline I don't think anybody in this city thought would be probably the biggest storyline. And if they miss the playoffs, it's because of their goaltending. It's not because of the head coach. It's not because of the lack of chemistry. It's not because of the lack of depth. It'll be because of the goaltending. It's cost them a lot. It's cost them a lot as the season's gone on. They've lost many a point when you look at you know, leading into the third period, falling in overtime, all these types of things. And listen, yesterday, Michael Backlund makes a mistake that he can't make. And the shot goes crossbar down and it gets knocked in. But it's everything that happened prior to that, right? Like yeah. we played the Daryl Sutter clip in the morning report. If that second goal doesn't go in and they're able to hold the fort. Yeah, but Millen was talking about it all last night. You want to be the number one guy. Yep. You can't let that next one in. 100%. And he's and he's right. You just can't let that one in. Yeah. Was the backland change a terrible one? Absolutely. Was the call on Walker Dewar terrible? It absolutely was. But if that second goal doesn't go in, the Flames more than likely win that game last night. Yeah, 100%. Because it was a sleepy second period, and it was a definitely a sleepy third period where exactly how the Flames wanted it. Low event. And until that goal came in, it just flipped the game on its head. And the Flames had a chance on their power play, which has been looking good lately, if that Anderson shot goes in off the crossbar. They go up 4-3. Who knows what happens the remaining of the game. But again, the cons- the lack of consistency in that has killed this team. And that's the one storyline nobody had heading into the season. And it's frustrating because you could say, and again, the text line's blowing up. Call up Dustin Wolf. You think you think the, a rookie goaltender in this situation where it's so dire that you want to give that guy a chance? I don't. Yeah, I know he's been spectacular in the American Hockey League. But let him sit down there and develop and grow because it's easy to ruin a young goaltender in the NHL. We've seen it happen way too many times 
with way too many highly touted goaltenders. This is not the time. If you want to tell them, hey, come battle for a spot in camp next year, by all means. By all means. But I, I'm right there with you. I just think that bringing him into this environment, because as much as, like we've said, the goaltending hasn't been great, but these guys have also made several big saves that have led to the Flames being in so many one-goal games, right? Like, who's to say that when he comes in and he starts facing NHL shots, him being Dustin Wolf, he doesn't allow some of the ones that are being stopped. Some of the greats, like that stop on Eichel, that pad stop that Vladar had early on in the period, yeah, the huge. very first one he made, unreal. And even on the tying goal, made a great save on Kessel. Yeah. Before Carrier put it in. Yeah, before he gets knocked over by his own defenseman. Right. And Anderson's had a bit of a rough go getting back in the lineup here. but And, and you know how I hate expected goals, expected saves, and all of that nonsense, that sure. snake oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But team save percentage is a thing. And can you say it's it's the Flames' you know coverage in their own zone? Well, no, the Flames are a top three team in the NHL with fewest shots allowed. It's not like they're bleeding a ton of shots, and you'd say, oh, it's about team save percentage. It's not. Like, the Flames are right at the top of the league in shots for, and that's what Daryl Sutter wants to do, and shots against. You got these guys just got to elevate their game. What was the stat from a couple weeks back where they were one of the top shooting teams, top shots against teams, and what five of the last seven teams who had trended the same way as the Flames had won the Stanley Cup in the years where they had done it? Yeah, and the Flames were out of a playoff spot when they were doing it. Like you see, and that and that's what makes and we got to go because I got to get to Mike Vuda. That's what makes this team so frustrating mm. is you see that first period last night. And you're like, man, this is a good team. They can play with anybody. It's so deep. They roll lines and they just come at you with all this depth, right? It just keeps coming at you in waves. And you think, wow, what if they added another top six forward? What if they added another depth blue liner to play on that bottom pair? What does this team look like? Wow. Right? They're a hard out in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah. But you can't get a damn save. You can't. And you need one down the stretch here. Mm -hmm. And you don't even need great goaltending. You need okay goaltending to be a playoff team. All right, Mike Feud is straight ahead. Former uh, LA Kings Vice President, Player Personnel, NHL on Sportsnet. We'll talk to him. Still taking your text messages, 960-960. The Flames will win in Vegas when blank. The Flames will win in Vegas when blank. 960-960, name and location. Lots to come. Big Show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show. The Big Show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. At the top of the hour, Derek Wills, Calgary Flames play-by-play on Sportsnet 960. He likes to look at the positive side. So let's all be positive Pete's instead of negative Nancy's this morning. Please. Yeah, let's be positive. Please. Although it's a little brisk out. At least it's Friday. Mm -hmm. And the Flames lost again in an AT&T and T-Mobile Arena, excuse me. Um, Never never won there. Ever. (sighs) 0-8 now. But at least they got a point for the first time in franchise history. Sure did. Which is is a start. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely a start. The best you can do. Uh, Talking about that game last night on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Mike Fuda, NHL on Sports, an analyst, former vice president, and director of player personnel for the LA Kings. Mike, good morning. How are you? 
good. How are you guys doing? We're good. Um, uh, last night, you're very positive. Yeah, which which I'd be positive this morning because it was a uh, it was a very positive first period uh, for the Calgary Flames last night. But well, I, we talked about this before you jumped on, Mike. The Flames right now team save percentage twenty eighth in the league at eight eighty eight. I don't think any of us, Mike, at the beginning of the season would have said that maybe the goaltending is the biggest issue for the Calgary Flames this season. No, you're correct. And I mean, I, and I've given Brad Treleving well-deserved credit. I mean, when you, when you pick up someone like Markstrom, you just expect much more. And I mean, clearly he expects much more from himself too. And I mean, having had Daryl as our coach in our two Stanley cups and thing, I mean, he was, he loves to ride his number one guy. And we had Jonathan quick in his heyday and, you know, you'd ask Daryl before the season how many games you want to start quickie, and he'd say 82. <laughs> um, and that was just the nature of it. Now, I don't know what the deal I mean, again, because you, you look at the blue line, right, and I, you love the make of it on paper, on paper as well. Like, it should, they, 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 as far as the lefty-righty, there's some good things, but you shouldn't, like, when you, if it's in, no knock on Mark Stone, but, uh, like, but when, as a player like that, is that a little lineup? It's like it shouldn't just it shouldn't be this off or like a Killington's missing. It shouldn't be this off. You've got to make saves, and it seems like I was talking about it last night on Sportsnet. I actually didn't get a chance to see the game. I was watching highlights. I went to the Raptor game after I got off uh, off the TV stuff. But I was like, literally, like it's almost like a blueprint. Every game you come out, you outshoot teams. You 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 come out. It's not like a team that comes out slow. Uh, they come out. They don't capitalize. I mean, last night it appears they capitalized more than their chances, but they come out, they outshoot a team immeasurably, and then one bounce happens, and it's in the back of the net, and now you're chasing the game. And it's a recipe for disaster when you've got a, when you've got goaltending that's not up to par. And I mean, it's not, and it's not that this guy's not a world class goaltender, but you got to start bringing it. And then you know, Guadar was on with a little bit of a role there for a while too, and and he seems to he wasn't really good in his last start either. It's and it's frustrating for a team when you know you've got it going and you look back and you're not getting that big safe. And that's that's got to be some accountability on the goaltenders. Uh, Mike, and it's not like the Flames are bleeding shots against every game. They've given up the second fewest shots in the NHL. Only the Hurricanes have given up fewer shots against. And if you look at the leaders in the league of teams that have given up the fewest shots, it's all the best teams in the league. It's the Hurricanes, the Kraken, the Devils, the Bruins, the Leafs. All of these teams are near the top of the standings in their conferences, and they don't give up a ton of shots. That's what has to be even more frustrating. It's not like, you know, these guys are facing 40, 50 shots a game, and now you know why the save percentage is so low. Daryl's team is limiting shots against. It's just the propensity to let in that weak one has killed this team this season. And even just just even that second goal by White Cloud last night, that doesn't go in. The team probably wins last night, Mike. 100%. And I mean... and that's what I talk. I could talk about a team that's still competing hard. Like it's not a. Like, and that's what frustrates me sometimes when I hear the narrative that you know whatever the team's given up or they're not into it. Like this team, like, I think they put up a board last night on, on Sportsnet that was like, they, twenty-one one-goal losses. I guess it's twenty-two now. Um, and in games that you completely shot-wise and chance-wise, and I mean it's one thing. I mean you can break it down or whatever. If you have two, a team forty to twenty, and technically you look back, and you've got you've given up like whatever twelve grade A chances or something like that. But that's not the case. 
there's at least, and I mean, my dad would, like, my dad always used to talk about it. It's not, like, I'd hear him screaming at the TV set at night from upstairs. It's about the bad goal. It's the soft one. You can have, you can make the most electric save ever, but if you let one get through, like uh, at, a, at, a, at a critical time, it it totally offsets anything positive you've done with one miraculous save. Stop the ones you need to stop. And that's what's been incredibly frustrating to watch from a team. I mean, I'm not, I mean, obviously I've got some players and staff that I have very incredible relationships with the Flames, but as far as watching from the outside, I'm like, how do you let that fuck in at that time? And it's amazing, like even the other night, I think it was Philly. Like, teams you're losing to, you come out and you're out shooting them like 40 to 20 or whatever it is, 40 to 17, and then you fight your way back and crawl your way back when you should have been you should have been up by five goals after the first 10 minutes and you've made a goalie and, and the goalie for Philadelphia and his name escapes me now, but it was wasn't like he was playing exceptionally well, but he was being hit in the chest from places that you got to find a way to put it in. And the one play that really stood out to me too, and I know that it's not a, it's not a goal scoring machine, but you think about guys last year, Kadri was a two on one and he threw it a little ago and he, you got to bear down and bury that. You got to bury that puck, and and, he, and it, it, it made the goalie look kind of like, wow, what a save. But in, in fairness, somebody making that kind of money, that's got to be in the back of the net. And it's not that. I mean, I love the guy as a player, and I mean, I know he's a great teammate and stuff like that. But at this time of year, those have got to be in the back of the net. And then it just builds momentum. And teams like that that are in the Bedard Sweet Stakes, they start to go away if you take away their will early. But if you let them stick around because you're, you know, they they look and see a goalie that's not you know not making big saves or. You, you're looking at, you know, you're making very average goaltending look good. Um, you know, it's it's frustrating to watch, and I mean, I, and you can see the, as the game goes on, the will to, you know, you can see a little bit of shoulder slumping because you're like, man, we can't score, and we're getting leaky goaltending at the other end. I still, I, I won't give up. I, I still think this team's going to make the playoffs. I hope the tree finds a way. It's not a, I mean, obviously, when you look around the league, we were talking about last night, the teams. Why are why are these teams not making trades? It's because nobody has cap space, and if you're trying, if if it's not a rental, you're moving. Like you look at the Canucks, all these players they're trying to move. Like, what's the point if you're going to have to retain salary for seven or eight years on a bad contract? Why would you Why would you make a move right now? Or how How can you make a move right now? So I guess he's going to have to be very creative, trying to add another stick up front that can, you know, hopefully a little bit of a natural score scoring ability and it's just it's just it's been hard to watch because there's so much better this is not a team this is and we were everybody in the panel last night was just saying this is a team that should be bearing so much more fruit than they are but I still think they'll find a way to get in like Markstrom's just got to just step up and be consistent like there, there were seasons even in LA where Jonathan Quick maybe wasn't the the usual Jonathan Quick that we had seen but Sometimes he'd find a way to get it figured out later on in the season. Like, wh- what are some of the things that a goaltender could do maybe to try and get their game right when you're looking at, you know, a quarter of the year left and, and perhaps playoffs? You know what? That's an un- Jonathan Quick for me is a unicorn anyways because he he didn't have any of those years while I was still with the team. I mean, last year he seemed to lose it later in, my, like, I guess my last couple years. He was... It was more the team surrounding. Like there was nobody more competitive or more and trustworthy. Like he, he and Bill Ranford had such an incredible relationship that they worked through things. 
And the biggest problem with Quickie was was injuries, right? Yeah. Because he's got this core that's like, for somebody that plays that style, that like it's almost like a road hockey goalie, like, uh, but with a body that's like he's got such a thick core that you're wondering like if he ever starts to get lower body problems, it's going to be really hard to play his style. And that's the only time. And then last year. I mean, against Edmonton, he almost took out the Oilers. Like, he, he was back to Jonathan Quick in that state in those playoffs. And this year, I don't know what it is. I mean, again, I guess whether there's an age factor with it, like, he just can't seem to find it this year. And I'm not there to find out what, where, what's in his head. Or, um, But this is the most ultra-competitive guy that I've ever been around. Like, I mean, probably him and Doughty are the most competitive players that I've ever been around. And then you you flip forward to Markstrom and you think what he was doing in Vancouver. Then he came over, he's doing the same thing. And then I, I go back to that when he came out, it seems a long time ago that he came out to play a puck and he got blown up by accident. It might even be Tanner Pearson. That got him. I, I yeah. don't know who got him. It was, but it, it, it took a while for him to come back to be the same guy. And when you're that big and that athletic, it's hard to imagine the pucks that are getting through. It, they don't seem to be like, the places they're beating them, they just shouldn't go through. And it's and again, it's a I guess it's the art of the sitting down and watching yourself. And it's a, I'm sure it's hard to imagine someone making whatever six million a year is lacking confidence. But if you start to doubt yourself, the way that you guys shoot the puck nowadays, it's not a good. It's not a real. It's not a real recipe for success. And I mean, and Daryl's not a shrinking violet. I'm sure he's. You know, it's it's tough too when he knows. That's the one area I'm sure he thought when asked the question, how many times you want to play Markstrom? He'd say 82, you know, but the guys, <laughs> the bottom line is Jonathan Quick was giving him 90% of the, 90% of the 82 games or the, whatever the 70 that he played. We ended up losing, like we couldn't even keep Martin Jones around because, and Jones, he was hot at the time. Like he just didn't want to play him. He just wanted to keep riding his guy. And you got to step up to the plate and, 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 Again, I look at the. It's not like I see some of these other places, like you, whatever you want to get on Thatcher Demko. Okay, we'll look at the defense core in front of them, right? Or you want to get on like somebody, like some like the Ottawa Senators or something, like the way they play defense in front of them. But this team has got a really. I got. I don't mind their defense core at all. Like it should be. It's not totally on them. I mean, and sometimes, you know, it takes a while. I mean, Weger coming from Florida, running on the style of Flames play, but. When you look at the quality, there's at least one leaky goal a game, or probably more than one and a half. Mm. And that's just when you're a team that kind of built on winning three two games. I mean, you've lost your probably your two most natural gifted goal scorers are gone. Coughs a thirty goal scorer, right? So you don't have that forty or fifty guy that's going to put you over the top. Um, you got to got to balance it out. You got to get the saves when it matters because you're not going to just blow teams out every night. And when you do score five, it should be a walk. It shouldn't be five four or five five or six five in overtime. You should have you should have cooked that game. Now, uh, what would you think of maybe the Flames moving out just some small pieces to supplement the blue line or, or supplement maybe a little bit of the bottom six? Because at this point, the way the team has been playing, it really doesn't feel like they're going to be out there to make a big splash and, and try and you know push chips in for this season. they got a lot of guys who are still signed for the next year after this. So would you see that being maybe the strategy for Brad Trulivin and his group? 
I honestly, I, I've, I've looked at it and I'm like, it's, it's a tough one because you look at certain teams. Uh, the, the, the move you want to make, you don't really have. Again, it's unfortunately the, the Chillington's not a piece that could, that's in play uh, with, in playing with the team. But there's not that like when you like reality is like that. I think UFA wise, you're probably looking at guys that are they're not as marketable as like I mean Luch. I, I absolutely love Milan Lucic, but at six million dollars, it's not a piece you're going to move out. You know what I mean? Like and yeah. And, and everybody could use the, the toughness and leadership that he brings, but that's not a salary. Even if you retain, that's not a salary you can move. And I know not that they would be moving him. Trevor Lewis is clearly a staple there, and you're not moving him. So you've got to be really creative. And I mean, I just look at it and try and figure out. You got to be really careful, especially this Pelche seems to be starting to get really comfortable. Looks like he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to chip in offensively. You don't have a lot of pieces to move. Um, and it's not like, you know, I mean, again, like, I mean, you look at the team's done well in the minor leagues, but I don't, there's not names just jumping off the map that you want to be moving out youth to add something, and you've got to probably move some salary out, and you guys be more creative than me. I don't know what salary is completely movable yeah. that makes sense to add. So it's it's a team that's it's almost got to figure itself out, and I mean, I, I hope they find a way to add something that is just that can just chip in offensively. Um, again, on the blue line, it's amazing that you know that that group is. It's like on paper for me, anyways. That should be at least a top top third in the National Hockey League. For like when you think of some other places, what they've got. I mean, they're, they're obviously not whatever. You look at some like the Carolinas and some like what Boston's doing on the back end and stuff like that. It's almost incredible. But and the other part is everybody's trying to add the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which makes it even more difficult. Like, I mean, do I think like a Luke Shen is a perfect fit there? Yeah, but there's probably 15 teams right now that are looking at Luke Shen saying that's a perfect fit on their back end. And then the other part is this is the strangest trade they want because not, it's usually everybody's just talking about the rentals, but there's guys with term that are available that it seems like you've got teams that aren't even in the playoffs. They're like buyers because there's, pieces that could fit like a team of Meyer could fit just as well on a non-playoff team or whatever on the Columbus Blue Jackets as he could on a team that the Carolina Hurricanes. So there's so many buyers. And then you hear that like whatever army's selling in St. Louis and the next day he's buying. It's crazy. It's absolutely a crazy market right now. And I mean, if you're, I guess that's why there's these players doing whatever you call it, this uh, sitting out healthy, whatever they've got a term for it now because there's so many different suitors. There's Mike, so many different suitors, yep. same players. Mike Feud, NHL and Sportsnet, analyst, former vice president, director of player personnel for the LA Kings and the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, big show, Russick and Rose, 960. The fan, Mike, you're right. It feels like such an onerous process just to make a deal in the NHL now because of the salary cap. You mentioned the roster management reasons or the trade-related reasons. Is that good for the league like, I know at the NBA gets a lot of heat for quote-unquote load management, but is this ultimately good for the game now that teams are sitting out these assets that they want to move at the deadline? I, I mean, I used to, I mean, we were kind of laughing last night because we hadn't really read the, we hadn't really got the names off our tongue on the Washington guys that were sitting out, and they were already moved. <laughs> yeah. It's these guys that are sitting around 
Like I, I get the one game where you're getting really close, but this when you're talking a month out, like that's that's a problem. Like that's a big problem, and it, it's not load man. Like when I look at it, and obviously Chicken's got a history of injuries, so this is this is a bad look. I mean, to have a guy sitting out for three weeks prior to the deadline for trade related reasons, like I mean. I don't know what the league can do about it, or the or the agents or stuff like. Because obviously the agents probably know, but you better be damn sure you're moving the guy. Like if something come like falls apart and he doesn't get moved, which I mean he's obviously going to be moved. There, there be egg everywhere. But it just I don't like it. I don't like the look one bit. I mean, two days before the deadline, yeah, that's I, I get it if you get that close. But when you start looking like a month out, I don't I don't get it. I mean, what's the whole like? And then you've got respectfully when you've got Gary's, you know, no teams don't tank. Well, you're basically finding a way to circumvent the word tank because yeah. you're keeping yourself right in the Bedard sweepstakes. And you've got a kid sitting in the press box. That's going to, you know, I mean, you start to question whether, you know, obviously if I'm a team, I want to know a 100% is, is this a healthy person? Because if you're not playing, and you, it's not a matter of getting into evaluating someone with a live viewing display because you know the player well between the video and you, you've scouted them enough. But I want, I mean, now you're getting a rusty, you know, you're getting somebody with rust on them coming back into a major playoff race. or And obviously, same thing. He could be traded to a non-playoff contender as well. But I, I think that, I just think the whole look, the optics of it suck. And it's not good for the sport. And I mean, I whatever the the load management stuff with injured NBA players. That's that's different. I mean, I mean down the stretch here, if whatever, if Boston's got a fifty point lead on the rest of the league and they want to give Bergeron a night off, so be it. But for mm. for for a reason that's just related to like this is this is a business asset chip, and I'm going to sit them in the crowd and keep them nice and shiny until I move them. I just think the optics just it just doesn't look good at all. He's paid to play. If you're healthy, pay, play. Maybe just a thought on that move for Washington, and uh, I guess the overarching question that everybody, especially in the East, has is: anybody going to be able to knock off the Boston Bruins once the playoffs roll around? Hey, it's the NHL playoffs. Anything's possible. <laughs> I mean, I, and that's the thing about it. I mean, we went in as an eighth seed, and uh, I'll never look back on something like that. We went in as an eighth seed and went up three nothing in every round. So. You can't convince me ever that something can't happen. All you need is one post or one injury. Uh, the, the one thing that's miraculous about it, when I was talking last night about uh, the one thing that Boston has on everybody, it, it, they, there's something about that culture. And the, forget about the way they're playing and the fact that all Mark all of a sudden looks like somebody the Buffalo Sabres might have thought about keeping around is that the culture that they have there, even like they had that little blip in the radar screen where they signed the kid with the problems off the ice, because of their leadership and stuff like that, it was like a blip on the radar screen. It wasn't like a full car accident that went on for months. People were talking about it. And we were t- speaking last night about like what's gone on with the Penguins. Like, you think about their core. Mm. Well, their core came back, and they're all Hall of Famers. But they took 6.1, 6.1. Latang, 6.1 for whatever, how many years. Malkin, 6.1 for how many years. Okay. Boston's core came back for $2.5 million and $1 million. <laughs> and Marshawn's making whatever, six-something or seven. It allows your general manager to add pieces to make a trade like last night, where you're not, like, Pittsburgh, I, I mean, they're kind of similar to Calgary. It's like, how do you add to make that team better right now, right? And if Tristan Jari's 
playing like he did last night and not healthy, you're you're up against it. So how does Hex make a move or Berkey contemplate making this team better down the stretch when you don't have a penny to spend? Whereas the because the core guys came back at such incredible contracts, and I mean obviously someone like Pasternak or whether they decide to keep the band together next year, there's going to be some different contracts on the point. But you can make that move last night and make a magical team even look even more shiny and more prepared to go deep because Orlov's a warrior and, you know, Hathaway plays the green, same gritty style. Now your bottom six has got a dirt bag. Like, God forbid they ever play the Leafs and they've been bunting everyone in the corner together. But it's, it's like one of those things. You allow your team to get better by taking it. I mean, it, and I, I know players don't even want to hear it. The agents do, do a great job, but maybe if you take a million less, a million less, knowing that you're going to be there and you want to take another run at the Stanley Cup, it allows you to add a $2 million player that's going to help you get another ring. But say la vie, Boston, that's what <laughs> makes the Boston story this year so much more magical. And, I mean, that's why I always think the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to be up against it, because, and not because they're not. And I think Dubas made an incredible trade as well. But when your core guys are making, and you're already hearing, like, with Austin Matthews, is she going to take a little bit of a team-friendly deal to, no to chance. stand together? It's like $15 million guaranteed. I'm like, okay, well, good luck trying to put the pieces around to continue being successful winning. You're still going to have the best four or five forwards in the, you know, whatever, in the world, and it's going to be magic. But how do you add those pieces that actually get you a Stanley Cup ring to make your team better when you're tapped out at the high end? It's the draft, but then it's a catch-22 because then you need to acquire pieces to, to help those guys in the playoffs, and you need to use draft capital to acquire those pieces. But then you could also have guys that you drafted on the cheap to help out those guys. So it's just a never-ending cycle of... That's why, Mike, the NHL needs like a, like a designated player kind of thing for one player. Like We've talked about this on the show, and we really got to run, but if you've drafted and developed a player, you should get one freebie that doesn't count against the cap. And I think that would make Ooh, things a lot easier. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Why are I teams getting penalized easy. for having a guy like Austin Matthews? Obviously, he was number one and they drafted him. But being in that situation, the Leafs are going to have to pay a ton of money for Austin Matthews when, why should they? It's not like they signed him as a free agent. He's their player. They drafted him. He's been there the entire time. They should be able to pay him as much money because, quite frankly, Connor McDavid is criminally underpaid for what he does. And the Oilers oh, should be able to pay him as much money as he 100%. wants. Yeah. yeah, well, so Darn is criminally paid too much. So. Yeah, no, it's true. No, but it's true. <laughs> I, I, you know yeah. what I like your concept is if you say somebody that you draft, because you say drafted and developed. Okay, Austin Matthews, you could have got him out of the newspaper. Yeah. Okay? But I like the idea of getting a guy, maybe getting a guy from the, if you've got a guy you drafted, maybe say the third round on, that develops into that, that elite player that now you have to pay, that somebody like that comes off the books. So it's it's more a credit to your drafting and your development than just finding a player sure. that's elite. But I, I, that's a great concept. I like that because it bring it would bring up an interesting conversation. Because all right, if you want to take Connor McDavid off the books and he gets as much money as he wants, what do you give to Drysital? Because he would have to be on the books, and they're not that far off. But then, what would Drysital come up, come in? And would he be? extremely underpaid compared to a teammate and then does that start a little bit of uh, animosity perhaps like that would be something that i would wonder about that's why i said try and find a way to do it with a player drafted later Mm. that turns into it because your stars are going to get paid i mean you're not yeah because again it gets to 
so you have that year or whatever where you don't have a guy they name the draft after. I mean, and no offense, Edmonton picked first like what seven years in a row or something. So like yeah. not a yep. there. So it's it's but you find a guy that's like so Drysdale deserves his money. I think that's a I get your comparison, but he was drafted in the top five or whatever he was second yep. overall or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you find a guy from the third round on or something that turns out like whatever a Zach Hyman or a that somebody just really truly you drafted and developed on your own. Um, that turned out to be a stud, whatever, Jamie Ben, right? Somebody that Manjapani. Manjapani, yeah, exactly. That those guys, you have one guy that you drafted and developed that uh, was a later pick that comes off the book. It's almost a, it's a way to reward a team for great drafting and great development, not just picking out of the dictionary. And that's not, an, I mean, because, because there's so many players, like it's like that's like for us, like saying, "Wow, where'd you find Drew Doughty?" Well, he was just there. <laughs> yeah, he was right there. Solid he pick, right Mike. there. He was right there. Solid you pick. Know, we were actually taking him as Stamkos, so it's not like I said there. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Remember, I mean, I you know, well, I saw him in Kazakhstan, and he was really good. Right? Yeah. <laughs> nailed so, it. Anyways, nailed you know, it. you know, I mean, but I love that concept. But yep. that way, you reward your team for great drafting like, and developing too. What what Connor McDavid does, it's just. He's the most. Oh, he's, dy- you can argue he's the most dynamic player in all North American professional sports. Yeah, and it's, and it's, the, it's, Gary it's Trent Jr. on the Raptors makes more money than Connor McDavid, which is criminal. <laughs> like, think about that. <laughs> Trust me, I was at the game last night, and I was like, "Really, it's great music." It's, I, I, it's like, how much does he make? Yeah, and exactly. Like, yep. And whatever, but that's smaller bench. That's it. Whatever. More it's TV money. Together, I get it. More people watching it. I but get still. it. It's like the argument between women's and men's hockey. Unfortunately, I mean, if, if there's a, you've got to have people watching it and buying tickets. It doesn't matter. I mean, I, I, you can absolutely love the product, which I do, but people got to be paying money to watch it. Yeah. And that's, that's turn it up. And I mean, basketball is a whole different animal. My God, do they make dough? They make lots of money in the NBA. I'm Mike Fuda, NHL on Sportsnet, uh, former vice president and director of player personnel for the LA Kings. Mike, always fun. Let's do it again soon. Thanks, guys. Be good. NHL trade deadline coverage on Sportsnet 960 is brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Using the same secret recipe since 1975. It's a secret. Dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Takeout or delivery at 403-248-3344. Let's get positive on a Friday. Sure. Let's get positive. Uh-huh. Derek Wills, the voice of the Flames. I'm, I'm sure he'll put a positive spin on that 4-3 overtime loss. To the Flames last night. And uh, really quickly here, um, Alex, can I get a ding? Third word was onerous, and I got it in. In the bank for a Friday. Derek Wills, Connor McGahee, straight ahead, big show, Russick and Rose. We're Sports late, and you wasted the time fan. getting to onerous!